Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. On the episode today, we have... Hi, I'm uh, Ian Gardner. I'm a co-founder at Innovation Bay, and I'm also an investment partner with Gelix Ventures. Can you give us a little bit of explanation around Gelix Ventures um, and Innovation Bay? I, look, I mean, the whole thing started when I moved to Australia in 2000. I'm Scottish, you might notice. Uh, I came here in 2002, uh, basically fell into running a startup and I didn't know anyone. So uh, the founder and me launched Innovation Bay along with Faden Stow. And it was a community group for startups. Uh, you know, so we were there, I suppose, at the dawn of what you'd call now the ecosystem. Uh, and I won't go through the whole career anthology, but you know, I spent 12 years running my startup. Then I ran the AWS startup team for four years, uh, and then my wife Andrea at the time had started Gelix Ventures uh, investing, and she loved it, and I loved it, and I wanted to join her and uh, support her in doing that. So I went in with her about three years ago and became an investment partner with uh, with Gelix. What prompted the move to Australia? <laughs> Uh, when you marry an Australian, it's uh, it's a given. Uh, also, look, you know, and slightly more serious. Um, look, Scotland's a great country, uh, and I did love uh, living there. But I think a lot of people don't leave because they don't have the option. Uh, I mean, I came here with Andrea, and I just saw the the lifestyle, the weather, the beaches. The I mean, I just loved the place. Yeah, and I didn't <laughs> I didn't marry her because I wanted to come to Australia. And I didn't come to Australia just because we were married, but uh, it was an opportunity. And I think it was just, it was me as a 30-year-old in search of a better life. And Andrea, and at the time we were, we were having kids, so we'd had one kid and we'd made the other one in Scotland. He was born here. 
Uh, and I just thought it was going to be a better lifestyle for all of us coming here. Was it difficult? Because um, it looks like you, you started your startup like before you moved. You started it and then almost what it looks like is straight away moved to Australia. No, it was, I, I came here with, I mean, in hindsight, it was crazy because I, I didn't know anyone really and I didn't have a job. Um, and in hindsight, that's just crazy because I had, you know, uh, two, well, one and a half kids um, and, and no job in a brand new city where I didn't know anyone. Uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, an interesting first morning. I mean, I, I got off the plane. Andrea carried on, this is in Sydney, she carried on to Melbourne where her parents were with uh, our youngest and uh, pregnant with the, the second one. And my job was to find a, uh, a job and a place to live. Um, so the first thing I did was got changed into a suit and I went to interview with John Kroll, who is running Media Monitors. Uh, he's now a member of our summit group, which is uh, one of the groups that we have for late stage founders. And I've known him for 20 years. He's a great guy. So I got offered a job with him, um, not immediately, but uh, almost straight away. The second meeting I had was with Ron McCulloch, who I then started my uh, startup Viacorp with. He was another Scotsman. I kind of knew him. And then my third meeting that morning was with uh, with Faden, Faden Stow, who I then went on to uh, found Innovation Bay with. So it was a pretty productive morning. <laughs> what? Uh, how old were you when you moved to Australia, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'd have been 30, maybe 31. What motivated you to start Innovation Bay? Uh, I, I think it was it was the desire to, um, to build a community. Um, I mean, one of the things that happened, and again, this goes back, most of your listeners will be way too young for all this stuff, but there was a group that was around when I came to Australia called uh, internet.com. And it was awesome. Like uh, Mike Walsh, uh, who some of you might know as a sort of futurist and speaker, he was running it at the time. And they were putting on events at Cafe Sydney in Sydney. So I turned up kind of fresh off the plane from, uh, from Scotland. And I was going to these incredible events and this beautiful morning, and the outdoor deck at Cafe Sydney, overlooking the harbour and the uh, and the bridge. And I'm like, this is the best. And meeting some great people. And then about two months later, it went bust because it was kind of, you know, the whole thing was at the end of the dot-com boom. Uh, and then there was no um, community. So I didn't really have a group. Um, you know, and I wanted to find one, but I couldn't. So I guess it was the founder in me. It's like, well, shit, I should go and um, launch one. Uh, and that was kind of the genesis. And I'd, I'd met Faden uh, at the time as well. And I really liked him. And we got on well and, you know, he was in recruitment and I was in uh, software, but we both had that uh, bond of, you know, loving other people and loving trying to help other people as well as ourselves, to be honest. I mean, it was sort of selfish altruism. Um, so Innovation Bay came about as a result of that. And, you know, the, the first few events were just, you'd call them meetups now. We met in a bar, uh, you chuck some money in a hat to cover the catering and we just heard from a speaker. So people came to hear the speaker, but they also came to meet each other. Uh, and, you know, so I built my network uh, and I guess by extension, we started building the community just off the back of, of that. It was scratching our own itch. And it was quite easy to, to be honest at, this, at the time. How did that conversation go with Faden? Like, what, what was the idea? Like, or what, was the, what was the pitch? Was it, and was it difficult to get him on board or was it your idea? How did it all I work? Can't, I can't remember. I mean, I remember we, we were sitting around in, uh, so my first office was a uh, home nightclub in uh, Cockle Bay Wharf in Darling Harbour. Um, and we were sitting around uh, in the bar, uh, you know, overlooking the harbour, uh, you know, a beautiful day. And I can't remember exactly how the conversation went or who initiated it, but the principles behind it were really, we want to meet some great people um, and bring great people together. So it's about quality, not quantity. So each of us kind of lobbed 30 names of people that we'd met through the, you know, what I guess you'd call now the ecosystem. 
Uh, so we ended up with maybe, you know, 70, 80 names. Uh, and we said, look, let's invite them and just uh, bring uh, people together. And we kind of had this uh, informal strap line. It's like, well, should we put it on the website? And we're like, no. But it was kind of like, you'll never meet a dickhead at an Innovation Bay event. You know, because we'd all been to events where you get, you know, some consultant in your face trying to sell you the, the stuff they've got. We didn't want any of that. We just wanted good people who were running startups or investing money. Uh, and, you know, we wanted this sort of uh, informal guarantee that you're not going to meet a dickhead. That should be the tagline. Well, we have thought about it, but yeah, it's kind of hard. Like, well, where's the bar? How do you define dickhead? And because you're bigger and more sophisticated, kind of you got to think about that stuff and it's quite hard to define. Where did the that kind of love of people and love of community come from for you? Uh, look, it's a good question. And I actually don't know. I think it's, I, I've always been, and I think as I've got older, I think I've recognized what I am and what I'm good at. Uh, I'm definitely an extrovert. I get energy from hanging out with people and engaging with them. And honestly, just trying to help them, uh, you know, and I think I've always been like that, but I never recognized it when I was younger. Look, and I think, you know, Faden's the same. I mean, he gets energy from uh, building the community and, and pulling good people together. You know, and the, the further into the journey we've got, I mean, we've, we've started rolling out membership tiers. So I mean, the first one we started was called Summit, which I mentioned uh, John, John Crawl is part of, you know, and that's 45 uh, late stage founders. It's the most impactful thing we've ever done, because the best thing you can do for founders is to get them to hang out with other founders. Because they're the ones that understand the journey. I mean, being a startup is a crazy journey. I mean, it's uh, it's stressful. It's you're not probably going to make much money. You might go bust. I mean, it's just the highs and lows are extreme, and nobody really gets it unless you're a founder. Um, so for us, you know, bring look because we were founders ourselves, so we understand it, and we still are. I mean, you know, it's we're kind of at the, the different end of it, and you know, Innovation Bay doesn't need to raise money, and uh, it's just a great community business. Uh, but we see it in others and we really want to help them. And we just love bringing them together and seeing the impact that is having on them and their business. Back in, you know, 2003, even right up to 2010, like what was visible to you in terms of the startup ecosystem? <laughs> Look, there wasn't much. Uh, I mean, that was the real, uh, you know, those were the dark, no, actually I was going to say dark days. That, that makes it sound, it was like, it was miserable. It wasn't miserable. It's just, there was no real activity. There was no, no venture uh, I mean, there was like Allen and Buckeridge was around, but they were pretty niche in what they were investing in. And there was maybe a couple of others too, but it wasn't until about 2011, 2012, 2013, you know, Airtree, Blackbird, Squarepeg, One Ventures, they all came in around that, that time. Uh, but those early days, ecosystem community was not a word that was part of the vernacular. And for, you know, me and uh, Faden, when we were doing this, it was more about just, I, I guess, scratching our own itch. Like we were tech founders are in the tech community and we wanted to hang out with like-minded people uh, and that was our way of doing it and we didn't really think about um, what it was or why we were doing it we just did it because we it felt right and it felt good and we enjoyed it what what were people doing um, you know what were founders doing in that 2003 to 2011 12 13 like how were they starting where were they getting the money from um, well, in 2005, we had this guy called Mike Cannon Brooks from this little company called Atlassian. Oh, yes. Uh, sounds familiar. So they had started then. Uh, I mean, it wasn't in the, exactly the same shape it is now. I mean, the cloud computing, which was probably the biggest change in, uh, in startups that's happened in that 20-year period, uh, you know, it was all on-premises uh, software and hardware. And I was running a tech business too. I mean, my, my company was called Viacorp and we were doing, it was a video platform. It was kind of like a corporate YouTube. 
you know, so we were building product and deploying it into data centers and just doing all that stuff uh, that you'd now call a sort of B2B SaaS. Uh, but remember when Mike turned up, it was, you know, he said, oh, we've got 90 staff and we've raised, we hadn't raised any money, but, I, you know, he alluded to sort of millions in revenue. And I'm, I'm like, this guy seems really good. <laughs> and he was just, you know, this this lovely guy. And, you know, the, you, we all know the trajectory since then. So it wasn't all like Atlassian. Atlassian was there. Um, you know, we were there. It was, you know, you could count on two hands, really, the, the, the decent software businesses that were around at the time. You know, I think WiseTech might have been going. I mean, the ones that got through that, because they, they, they were the ones that were good because they, they managed that transition from on-premises, just do-it-yourself um, deployment and infrastructure to the, this new world of the cloud. You know, and that was a difficult transition because you're going from, you know, legacy, super expensive, super uh, fiddly, you know, and completely inflexible uh, infrastructure to something that you can change, you know, at your fingertips in five minutes in your bedroom. Some people do have pointed a lot, you know, a lot of people have pointed to that cloud computing, dropping the price dramatically for entry, you know, not having to spend tens of thousands of dollars on infrastructure. You could just get, was Amazon AWS around at that point? Like, uh, yes. And, and look, again, it's a slightly separate story, but I might as well tell it. I, I mean, Viacorp, uh, my business uh, did transition to the cloud and we went through that, that journey. So we moved from our own hosted infrastructure to uh, using AWS. And that was around 2013. So I think in 2013, uh, we were actually AWS's biggest customer for one or two months. So it was, you know, we were super early and, you know, we weren't massive peers. I mean, it was probably six figures, but it was, you know, so it felt like a lot to us, but for them, it probably wasn't. And now that's nothing. Uh, and I, but I loved the the team. I loved the principles. I loved the product. Um, and then, you know, fast forwarding uh, six months or so, uh, I mean, I'd been talking to AWS about potentially coming on as a partner of Innovation Bay, our sponsor. Um, and they're like, yeah, we don't really want to sponsor, but, you know, we're recruiting for a role in the, you know, to basically run the ecosystem or to be head of the startups. And I'm like, well, I don't really want a job in a corporate, but tell me more. Uh, and that was the start of it. And that's how I ended up. I mean, I was, I knew I was going to get out of Viacorp. It was just, uh, you know, I'd been 12 years in by that point. And for most startup founders, 12 years is a long journey. You know, we hadn't had a big exit. It was it, towards the end, it was quite tough. We'd raised quite a lot of money and had flat growth and it was just difficult and I wasn't enjoying it. So it was just perfect timing. And, you know, they wanted to build out the startup uh, ecosystem. They weren't quite sure how to do it. Uh, and I think they saw in me uh, someone who was connected, passionate, uh, and I guess technically capable or technically capable enough. That makes me sound like I'm good at tech. I'm not, I'm a good generalist, but I understand tech. Uh, and it was just a, a great match. And I loved that role because it really was about building the ecosystem and but doing it from a position of, I, I knew that we were doing good because if you get uh, you know, a cloud platform like AWS in the hands of startups, you can transform the way that they think and operate and can deploy. You know, in our stock uh, tool, was to give them free credits, you know, so come on the platform, you know, it's kind of like uh, just giving them the, uh, you know, entry level drug to get them on the hard stuff. I mean, it was, it was, and it was a great way of, of doing it. Uh, that wouldn't be media approved, by the way. I was a media spokesperson at Amazon. I'd have been clobbered for that. So <laughs> don't quote me on it. Uh, but it like, loved the, the, the company and what we tried to do and how we did it. And it, the impact I think that that had really catapulted. And it was just at the time when the, the ecosystem was starting to boom. So it was just a great four years uh, for me in the ecosystem. What do you think 
prompted or was the catalyst for uh you know for the the rise of the blackbirds and air trees and square pegs like from no real specialist in the investment field in startups to having you know the, this new generation new wave come through what, what do you think drove that uh i think it was a combination of um talent within the ecosystem like great startups coming through you know like your Lassians and your canvas and your wise techs and your um you know, I can't remember, like I don't have a list of all the ones that were around then, but it was pretty obvious that if you had a great idea uh, and you had enough money and talent to build it out, you could do really well. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the the talent within that investment field. So when you think of, you know, Daniel Petrie, you know, came out with Craig Blair, came out of Netus, and they'd done a great job, and Paul Bassat just made a bunch of money with Seek and wanted to to deploy that, and you know, they'd been playing around as a sort of syndicate. Um, you know, so a lot of people had been uh, dabbling. I mean, that's probably the wrong word and they wouldn't like me using that, but you know, they hadn't really launched their fund per se. And it was kind of the same story with, with Gelix. Like we uh, had to invest as a syndicate before we could actually go out and raise a fund. Um, so it was kind of, you know, the whole ecosystem, you know, when you're building an ecosystem, you can't just, it's not a pre-packed 3D printed house. I mean, you've got to build the foundations and put the bricks in and then the rooms and then the plumbing. And, you know, it's just, there's lots of different things that go into it. Um, so it, it just took a little time for that um, startup talent and individual talent within the VC community to to come together. And that that was where that perfect storm came in, sort of 2012, 2013, 2014. What, what made you want to get into the um, investment in VC space? I think I realized in my time at, Amazon, um, that I was better as, with a portfolio approach. And maybe it goes back to the way that I am. And I like lots of multiple people and seeing the the landscape from a bit of a distance, but, you know, being able to dip in and help when I can, rather than being a founder. And, you know, when you're a founder, you are down the rabbit hole. I mean, it, it is, and that's appropriate. I mean, if, if, if it's your life's work and you need to change the world in that particular area, you have to be down the rabbit hole. But, you you know, it's... you. you you're blinkered, you know, you don't see things beyond that. You know, it's your your product, your team, your customers, your investors. And it's kind of hard to see that wider ecosystem. You know, and I loved doing that when I was at Amazon. Andrea, uh, my wife, had also like shared that passion. Um, you know, I think 2014 was the, the first time that she did the our first investment, which actually came from our uh, Innovation Bay event that we saw them at. And we didn't know what we were doing and we learned on the tools and uh, she loved it. And then I loved to see, I loved uh, seeing her and supporting her as she did it. And then it just became apparent that, you know, maybe that would make sense to help you and, you know, eventually raise a fund and just head down that path. But that was, a, you know, difficult, you know, it's a different story. I mean, it's a really difficult thing to do to go from scratch with no experience to having a proper ESVCLP venture fund behind you. That was a really tough journey. Um, what does, what does GLX mean? <laughs> So our kids, our two boys are called Jasper and Felix. Uh-huh. Right. And I used to tell stories to them at night when they were little about Fasper and Gelix. And Gelix was a cooler name than Fasper. So <laughs> poor old Fasper has not had a look in yet. Uh, so what happened, um, do you think, in between kind of 2010 to 2000 or to present? Like what has been some of the big movements from your perspective that have kicked things up a notch in the startup world? I, oh, there's a few things. Um, I mean, one is the, is just the, you know, the shining star successes, you know, uh, Atlassian, Canva, Afterpay, 
uh, Air Wallex. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, the, I can't remember the number. There's probably you know, there's a dozen unicorns now uh, across Australia, and that's not mentioning the ones that went on and listed, like Seek and Real Estate, and you know. So there is so much great talent that's coming through, and I think people are looking at that and going, "That's pretty cool," and it would be good to go and and, and join that, uh, or get involved in it in some way, or invest in it. You know, so all of this. You know, there's no one thing, Adam, that, uh, that that has pulled this together. It's just been this confluence of talent. You know, cloud computing has definitely helped. Uh, money coming to the sector. But I think the number one thing is just the the examples, the shining star talent that's, people, that's come through and people want to emulate. Who doesn't want to be Mel and Cliff? I mean, like, they are rock stars. Yeah. Scott and Mike. I mean, you just have to say the names and it's like you, you know who they are. You respect them. You know, just, I mean, I know them all and they're just, they're lovely people and they're just down to earth. And yes, they're worth billions of dollars, uh, but, you know, in pretty much all cases, they're going to give most of it away. You know, they've got more money than they can ever spend. And I love to see them doing good with that. What do you think, talking about present day, what are some of the challenges or, or gaps that, that the ecosystem faces? Uh... I don't know. Some some gaps are, you know, self harm almost, and some gaps are just geographic. And you know, this is a it's a tough continent. I mean, we're at the back end of the world in a funny time zone. It's tough to get here. We've been shut off to the world for the best part of two years. Uh, and sure, Zoom has helped, but you know, it's pretty hard to you know roll out your overseas expansion and hire a bunch of staff overseas when you're you're stuck in Zoom. Um, what are the challenges? I mean, I'm not going to blame government. You know, the, the, the ecosystem is doing well and it is definitely doing better than ever. And, you know, it is going up. You know, I don't, I don't know whether I believe in these startup rankings. You know, I'm pretty competitive as most uh, investors and founders are. So you do want to look around the world and say, well, how are we doing versus the other places? Um, you know, so are we doing relatively better? I think we have improved over the last few years. Um, and I think we have gone up in the rankings, like Sydney was 25 or something in the in the world rankings. Um, and the, the the other cities are just, they've been around longer and they're, uh, they've got more money and more talent. Um, you know, and I sometimes think we should just stop, you know, shut up a little bit, stop whinging, don't look over our shoulder, but just focus on what we've got and how we can do better. Uh, and I think that's certainly the attitude that we've taken is like, we live here, like we've made a choice to live here. So lean in. Stop whinging. If you don't like living here because you think Silicon Valley is better, then, you know, bugger off back to Silicon Valley. It's like, if you're going to be here, lean in, stop whinging, let's get on with it. How are those rankings, how do they come up with those rankings? What are, <laughs> what are the criteria? Uh, look, it's talent, it's connectedness, it's money. Um, I don't know. I've never been involved in trying to pull these rankings together. I mean, they feel on the, on the face of it and just looking at it and thinking about it not too deeply about right. Uh, you know, you would think London and New York and Boston would be better than Sydney for launching and running a startup and being able to find talent, uh, expertise and great investors and a massive market at your doorstep. I mean, all of that stuff plays into it. And we just don't have all of that yet. It's getting better, you know, and as some of these uh, success stories that we've talked about, I mean, all the big funds like, you know, Blackbird, Airtree, Squarepeg, they are all invested in Canva. Yes. I mean, yeah. Blackbird's first fund is going to be one of the best performing funds ever. And mostly that's a result of Canva. I mean, it's unbelievable. And a sore point for me because they asked me to invest and I didn't have any money. 
I think I heard that. I think I heard that on an interview you did. Yeah. Maybe I whinged about it too much. But look, look uh, I did invest in Startmate, and that uh, first and second Startmate uh, batch were really good. But I didn't have enough to invest in their fund, unfortunately. What What do you think? Um, I think you, you know you mentioned like we we are doing great. What do you have? You had much um, exposure to other ecosystems around the world. Yeah, uh, that was one of the great things about the AWS. Uh, team, we would get together as a global team twice a year and talk about best practice, what's going on elsewhere. We'd meet some of the ecosystem, they'd bring them in. So, you know, we went to London, New York, Tokyo, uh, Seattle, San Francisco. Yeah, and look, and we'd have a great time doing it. I mean, we'd go out, we'd have a few drinks, we'd go to karaoke bar. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a lot of fun, but we also learned a huge amount, uh, built a great network and discovered what was going on across the world. Is there anything that you think makes Australia unique? Do we have any competitive advantages when it comes to starting a startup here? Um, I mean, like the big advantage to living here is the lifestyle. I mean, I think the lifestyle is is pretty unbeatable compared to just about anywhere else. You know, yes, housing's expensive, but it's not as bad as San Francisco. Yeah, do we have real competitive advantages? No, probably not. I don't think there's one thing. I mean, like, we've got great talent, but so does many other places, and we have money, but so do other places. I don't think anything that we've got would be ranked at the number one in the world uh, beyond lifestyle. Um, No, I say unfortunately, but, I mean, that's the reality, and that's what we've got to uh, lean in and, and that we're all in this ecosystem fixing, and it is getting better across the board. Every metric is getting better. Feel free to skip this question if you don't have an answer, but um, do you have any unpopular opinions about the ecosystem? Unpopular? Yeah, something that you firmly set on, but people just don't seem to be on the same page as you about. I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe the, the, the piece around government policy. I mean, you get a lot of people whinging, the government should do more. Yeah. You know, the, the visa regime is not great. You know, and I don't think that's necessarily... There are some things that we could do better, but the R&D tax has been great. The... ESVCLP structures, a fundraiser and a VC now has been great. And they're, yeah, things could be better. And I would love us not to be digging shit out of the ground and selling it to the Chinese as a, and the Indians and whoever as a as an economic, you know, imperative. You know, we should be leaning in and tech and focusing on renewables and all the rest of it. So, but overall, uh, as I think Mike Cannonbrook said this, a great founder is not going to get out of bed trying to solve a problem that, uh, is, that is irritating them and they want to change the world and say, oh, I'm not going to do it today because government regulations don't suggest I do it. You're going to change the world. You're going to change the world mm. with or without government. I want to ask you the advice question. What one piece of advice would you tell a new founder if it was just one? Um, passion trumps logic. <laughs> uh, and what I mean by that is that if you think too hard, about whether you should do a startup, you will never do it because it makes no sense on almost any level. Um, but if it's something that you feel you have to do uh, and you want to change the world, and you know, if, if you're thinking about the money and how much you might make, you're probably doing it wrong. You've got to th- it's got to come from that passion perspective and you've just got to want to do it. And yeah, again, if you think too hard, you just won't do it. This last question is not really a question. Keeping in mind that I'm trying to put together here a documentary that will hopefully as honestly as possible and all-encompassing as possible tell the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. I want people from all corners of the ecosystem to hear the story. Do you have a message for them? Like either founders, investors, academics, policymakers, 
any one of those or all of them. What do they need to hear from Ian? Um, I mean, it's a unique ecosystem because it's. I think it's more collaborative than just about any other ecosystem. You know, and again, going back to the point about Innovation Bay, there's no real dickheads in the, the ecosystem. And part of that is a self-fulfillment. Like, if you're a dickhead, you are not going to get people to work for you or invest in you or buy your product. Therefore, you are a bad founder. So it just means that the good founders and the good investors, and the same for investors, you know, because you've you got to find people who want to take your money uh, and you've got to find people who want to give you their money to, to invest. So you need to be a, a known dickhead. So you just end up with this uh, ecosystem, uh, you know, at the top end that is filled with these great people who want to help each other uh, and the ecosystem. And that's what I love about it. And that's why I think both Faden and I, you know, and the whole Jalex team, and we just love building and helping to contribute to that overall ecosystem and community. It's a great place to be. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.